Hello, and welcome to this edition of the ASHA podcast. I'm Fred Wyant with the American Sexual Health Association, ASHA. In this episode, we're talking about cervical cancer and survivorship. And of course, one of our cherished programs is the National Cervical Cancer Coalition. And we're joined today by Jolene Wisler, the leader of the NCCC Central Illinois chapter in Peoria. And she has quite a story to share. Jolene, welcome. Thank you for taking time to chat with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I was um, honored to be asked to be on here and, and happy to oblige. All right. So I really want to get your perspective and advice for those who are coping with cervical cancer and the aftermath of treatment. But first, of course, got to ask you about your story. So you're, you're a cervical cancer survivor since 2006. And I'll let you take yeah. it from here and describe what you went through with the diagnosis and the treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it, 2006, I was experiencing some um, symptoms, some, some things weren't going right. Uh, so I had went to my OBGYN and we had a discussion. And then next thing I know, she's scheduling me for a procedure for the next day, next morning. So I went in and had a DNC done where they scrape the lining of your uterus and um, pretty simple procedure. And then um, the next day, next afternoon, I received a phone call from the doctor's office and said, who, who took you to your procedure yesterday? I saw my mom did. Why? She said, well, why don't you call your mom and see if she can bring you, bring you up to see Dr. Ali? And I said, why? <laughs> why can't I direct myself? Like what's going on? And I knew instantly something was wrong. So when I went back up there, uh, went up there, we, as soon as I walked in, she walked in the door of the, of the room I was in, I could tell because she just kind of had that look on her face, you know, yeah. and then she'd originally had diagnosed me with um, uterine cancer is what my original diagnosis was. And so that night I had to go to the hospital. She made some arrangements for people to, some people to stay a little longer and we did a PET scan. So I had to drink the drinks, you know, about mm. an hour and a half of waiting for all that to absorb into my system. And then um, they made arrangements to have less than a week to have my surgery, my hysterectomy, total abdominal hysterectomy done. Less than a week later, I was in getting that done. And then once they tested the cells is when they realized it was cervical cancer and not uterine cancer. So in my situation, um, she said at that point, had I had a pap smear, it might not have caught it because it was up close to my uterus is where the growth was. So, um, but at any rate, I still should have been years before because it had been seven years since I'd had a pap smear and that's far too long. So, you know, I hold myself responsible for that because I waited too long to get checked. So once I was in there for my surgery, um, nine weeks later, I was in getting mapped for radiation treatments and I received 25 external treatments and three internal treatments and um, knock on wood, it's, it's been all good since. That is amazing. 28 total treatments, internal and external plus surgery. Um, mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, you're, you're a warrior, you're battle tested, so to speak. Uh, mm -hmm. You certainly have an authentic voice. So 
Wow. Let me ask you, what would your advice be for someone who's, say, recently diagnosed? They're in a whirlwind. They're trying to figure this all out. They have no idea what any of this stuff is. What are the one or two things they need to know right away? Well, I think the first thing is to always maintain a positive attitude. Don't let your mind go to any dark places because it's not, you don't know what's happening. You know, just like with me, when they first diagnosed me, it was with the uterine. It wasn't until my surgery, like, you know, less than a week later, and they tested the cells that they realized it wasn't uterine cancer. So, you can, you know, in those moments, I could have been negative and, you know, planning my funeral in my mind, but you just can't do that. You have to maintain a positive attitude. I always believed it was mind over matter. <laughs> At least that's how I got through it. Um, but um, I also ask a lot of questions. I don't think I ask enough questions. Um, but it just seemed, it was, it was a whirlwind. It seems like from August until the end of November is when I had cancer. So, you know, when it first happened, like a couple of years after, it's like, well, you know, that time when I had cancer, because it didn't seem... It did, It just happened so fast. It was like, oh, you got to do this. And you got to do this. And it was one thing after the other. But then it was quiet, which was good. Then life returned to normal. So I thought it was normal. But it turned out it wasn't as normal as I thought afterwards. So. Did, did you jump online and start searching? Where did you get your information? Well, this was in 2006. Right. So, um. For me, getting online was not as easy um, as it was for others. I didn't have, did I have a computer? I don't know that I had a laptop. I think I had dial-up back then, so yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I had that. But no, I, I went off of, I did, I grabbed every pamphlet, because at the time it was all brochures and pamphlets. So, sure. you know, the American Cancer Society, there was a wall they had pamphlets of everything, you know, under the sun. So I found myself grabbing some pamphlets. But then once I started reading them and seeing some of the statistics, I put those pamphlets down right away because I didn't, again, that, that I didn't want that to affect my, my, you know, mind and my state of mind. And, and cause I could control that. That's one thing I could control is what I thought, the thoughts that I had. And I wanted to make sure they were always positive and that I didn't jump to conclusions or didn't jump to any prognosis of myself. So that's the important thing is to, you have to stay positive. Like you have to. Let me ask you a bit, uh, just continuing this about the personal side. I mean, this is just so stressful in every way you can imagine. Yeah. Um, for somebody who's going through this now, uh, how do you suggest they tap into, I mean, it takes a lot of strength, right? You really have to be strong. And if you, you've got to find that strength, how did you find that strength? How does somebody tap into that to get through this? Well, for starters, I was blessed to have a wonderful support network of my friends and family that were there for me. I really did lean on my friends a lot to, to not talk about cancer. They knew what was going on. I had shared with them in the beginning, but to have that, <clears throat> excuse me, have that continual conversation was not something that I needed. I needed to, I need to hear what was going on in their lives because I just wanted to hear anything other than cancer. So that's how I maintain my strength is through my friends and family, but also through prayer. That's, I think, a time when your faith comes into play. And that was certainly one of those times. You know, you mentioned there, uh, that's interesting, keeping, keeping your mind off of cancer. You don't want it to just have these interactions with your family, principally about you and just you know, the cancer, the cancer is everywhere. The cancer is all we talk about. Yeah, you want to, you need to get your head out of that space a little bit, right? And 
do something else. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's yeah, a... and that, and that was go ahead. Yeah, that was something that that my friends made a point to to we we tried to do a lot of things, which I was the type of person and I still am that I like to do a lot of things with my friends. So being with my friends didn't seem unnatural or or not, you know, it didn't seem like anything that we didn't already do. And for me, that was important to keep that consistency because then it didn't feel like, oh, we're just going to the movies because they feel sorry for me because I have cancer. No, that wasn't what it was. It was just what we always did. We'd always go to the movies or go out for dinner or lunch. So I tried to maintain those those activities that I would always do because then that took my mind off of my journey that it was on at that point so but my friends and family and faith were very important to me and that's how I was able to to keep the stress at bay but um still be able to be active and functioning and of course the medical staff were phenomenal I went to at that point it's called Methodist now it's called Unity Point at Methodist, but that's the hospital that um, I had, the healthcare um, system that I had went through for everything. And the, the staff was phenomenal. Every time I went in, it was, we were joking, we were laughing, and I found a way to joke about it, if you will, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, oh, I forgot something. It must be the radiation brain, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of make light of those things to keep things light and mm -hmm. uplifting and laughter so important. So trying to have fun and still trying to just trying to maintain my normal life it was very important yeah and you know what I it makes perfect sense sort of bringing some humor and lightening things up a little bit I mean my first reaction may well have been uh, oh this is so serious no no we don't want anybody to think we're making light of it but to you that actually sounds like it was helpful because you want those kinds of normal everyday interactions and yes. not somber and serious stuff of course yeah, absolutely. It was very important to do so. Um, and not getting, you know, not keeping yourself um, isolated, keeping my mind occupied and not isolate myself because some people can get very depressed just from getting that diagnosis. And then they could, like I'm single, live alone. I'm single. I had a boyfriend's time, but well, anyway, <laughs> but just keeping myself active because you don't want to isolate yourself. If you isolate yourself, it, it just makes everything seem that much more difficult and that much more depressing. So it's, that's again, what I said, stay in contact with your friends and family. And if, and if you normally don't maybe go out with your friends as much, try to go out with them more, try to do things to get, keep yourself active, because if you can keep yourself active and trying to have fun, then that's going to keep your mind off of the dark side because you don't want to go to that dark side. Sure, sure. And for people who maybe don't have a, a very big or robust support network or they just don't feel like going out, um, you know, True. these days, fortunately, there are a lot of online resources like NCCC has an online support community, a message board. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And so we'll link to that in the show notes. So those are some really good tips. And uh, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so it looks like there, there are a couple of ways people can can go at this. Um, I want yeah, to there's so many more tools, so sure. many more tools and resources now than in 2006. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the advancements of, of, of medic, you know, medicine. So that's that's really a plus as well right well, now. Well, let me ask you about the medical side. So you touched on that briefly. You said you had really good experiences with your medical team at, at the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, I did. 
So, all right. So you went through surgery and radiation. Um, so Correct. what can you suggest that patients do to make that easier or cope with side effects? I think it's important if they're experiencing some type of side effect to communicate that immediately with your physician, your oncologist, the nurses there where you're getting any of your oncology radiation or chemotherapy. You have to communicate that immediately. That's what I did because, you know, this is a, it was a new ball game. I had no idea what, you know, I would be experiencing. So when I went through something that I did, wasn't, didn't used to have these type of things happen, I, I would ask questions just to make sure that, you know, what's going on, what's this? And, and I kept them very, um, kept them very aware of any changes to my body and, or any, like, even if I had any, um, how do I put this? Any physiological changes, uh -huh. I made sure that I, I shared as well. Um, there are some changes that I, that I had went through you know, that I experienced, you know, within six months of my radiation, which I don't not want to get too graphic, but I'm, I know that going, you know, some of the foods that I ate had a different effect on me. So um, if I ate salad, uh, it would go through me pretty quick, if you know what I'm talking sure. about. So that was something that I needed to check to see what's going on with that. Um, in the areas where I did with the radiation, like where they mapped me for and the radiation did hit, I did experience like some dryness, things like that on your skin. And they, they would give you some aquaphor and things like that to be able to help with that. Um, and then there was changes in another area of my life, like sexually, mm -hmm. that was very um, different. And so there, you know, that's something that I had to talk to my doctors about as well to make sure that that, you know, what I what I have to look forward to in that area and what I was experiencing, what we can do to maybe try to make things, um, you know, a little more pleasant and not have, you know, the side effects that I was experiencing. Yeah, that's a good point. And those conversations uh, aren't always easy to have. I mean, even the doctors are not always right. comfortable having these conversations. Uh, I mean, how would you say that went? Were those, I mean, the, it's, of course, it wasn't an easy conversation, but was it fairly smooth or was it, you know, was your, were your doctors engaging with you on that? Yeah, I, it was fairly smooth for me because I'm a pretty open person. So for me to ask questions that might seem normally uncomfortable for some people, I just, I knew I was going through something. So I just put it out there. This is what, this is what I'm going through. Um, now I did have, it helped because my gynecologist was female and my oncologist was female. That helped. Um, I think if I did, if my physicians were male, uh, that might have not come as easy for me. Um, but because I did have, you know, female doctors, um, that really helped because I knew they could relate. They could relate to some aspects of what, you know, I was talking about and going through. So that was very helpful. Right, right. And uh, when I was while listening to you, uh, I was reminded NCCC actually has some videos on intimacy following cancer and cancer treatment. So we'll link to those in the show notes too. And they feature some chapter leaders really talking about their experiences. And that's why I really wanted to talk to you tonight too. I just think it's so important for patients 
to, you know, to listen, it's one thing to listen to me or listen to a, a, a medical professional, but to actually have your voice, you went through it. You know, yeah. you know I mean, I think yeah. that it, and, and one of the things people tell us sometimes is, is that I, I felt isolated. I felt alone. I'd never really, I didn't know anything about cervical cancer or, or the human mm -hmm. papillomavirus HPV that causes almost all cases of it. I, you know, I just felt like I was the only one. And that's why, and of course they're not, but that's why it's so important to get voices like yours out there so people know they're not alone right. there there are mentors who have walked this path and can help them so that's you know that that that's what we love yeah and that's great that they have that that was not a i didn't have right. i just didn't have that type of support in 2006 that they do now it would have been yeah. so helpful to have that and i didn't ask enough questions about what what will i be experiencing you know six months a year five years ahead i didn't ask those questions it was kind of a, I just winged it, so to speak. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, had had the experiences and then thought, well, this is odd. What's this about? So, like for example, I can give you an example. Like right after my surgery, um, you know, it kind of hurt to pee a little bit. I thought, what's going? On? Well, I talked to a friend of mine who'd had a hysterectomy already, and she said, well, if you look on your left shoulder, there's going to be a patch. That's like that's a hormone patch just rip it off. <laughs> you won't have those feelings. And I thought, well, maybe I don't know if I'm supposed to, but I know it hurt when I pee. So I was like, can't take this. So I looked over and sure enough, I was like, well, that, that's what she was right. So I took that patch, I ripped it off. <laughs> and then with it, I'm not, I'm not advocating going against what your doctor would say. I'm just saying for me, that's what I did. And then, I mean, I noticed it right away. Like I didn't have those, you know, that discomfort when I I didn't yeah. have discomfort. So, mm. um, and then I know like for six, I think it was nine weeks, they said you couldn't have, you know, any, any relations, like intimacies, which was good. I mean, it, cause you know, that was a lot, that's a lot down, you know, that's a lot of change there. So once, um, you know, that happened and then through the radiation and once they did, you know, then it was, there was some discomfort mm -hmm. and that's something that I talked to my doctor about and they were able to give me advice and, and give me, um, you know, whether it's, it's medicine or anything like that, that I needed to help. They provided that then. But I think for me, what I wished I would have asked more was about down the road, what's going to happen five years down the road? Like what, what will that look like? Because, you know, when I was 34 and you don't have those hormones, that's another thing they looked at. They gave me hormones after my, because after I told them I took the patch off, <laughs> mm -hmm. then they gave me hormones and they, they gave me like one kind of hormone and it had just weird effects on me. So then they put me on another one. Long story short, I was on six different hormones for six different months. And I felt like six different women. I just felt so entirely weird. So my um, gynecologist at the time said, you know, I think right now it's best to just not put you keep put you on any hormones. Let's let you just sort of kind of get used to life and what's going on. And so, but then there was a point later that I did, they did put me on hormones for a while. So, um, so that was right off the bat. That was where I had the problems with, with the hormone and regulating things. And because that, you know, not only affected, affected me physiologically, I mean, it affected me, you know, physically too. So yeah yeah and those are the questions that i didn't ask about later in life that i wish i would have yeah so yeah 
that that's a good point because I, I I have a note here to ask you. You know, how about how was the interaction like with the medical team? What what do you wish you had known or asked them about? And it sounds like yeah, that makes point. They, I mean, that's a good point. You know, what's going to happen yeah. down the road? You know, I see what's happening now, but what about a year from now? Five years from now? That kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, yeah, that's yeah. All. I mean, it's important. I can't stress enough. It's important if you have any side effects or any symptoms that you're not used to having. Um, or if you have a reaction, even if it's your diet, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. That part I did do. It's just the, you know, in the future, what can I expect? Those are the things that I didn't ask enough of. And I, you know, I was 34. I was just right. trying to live life and, and it didn't, it did, I didn't really think about those things then. But looking back now and after what I know now, gosh, I wish I would have been a little more inquisitive about what was to come. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, it's important to stay, keep the communication, um, you know, keep good communication with not only your gynecologist, um, but also your oncologist and your um, primary care physician. It's very important. Yeah, because you're seeing a lot of different providers. Yeah, there's a lot, there, there's yes. a lot of juggle there. No. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. So I, you know, I, I'm thinking about like the, like family and loved ones and the spouse, you know, like a spouse or a partner, mm -hmm. or really even somebody, somebody like, like your mother, or just somebody who's close, mm -hmm. they're really going through this too. Um, yeah. What would you offer as advice to somebody so, who's, who's actually is, is this part of the support system? What is it they need to do beyond the things we've talked about? Is there anything else particularly they can do to really help that patient get through it's something like do their grocery runs or do their laundry or do errands or whatever what what can they do to help the patient um i think just being accessible even if the person just needs to talk um for me i was just talking to a friend of mine about this today i you know right after the day after my surgery i was up walking and I set goals for myself, even the four days I was in the hospital, I set goals for myself. I told myself I was going to walk three times a day. So I had a little route that I'd walk out in the hallway, down to this big window around the nurse's station and back to my room. I did that three times a day and in the beginning. And then if I could, and then I ended up doing more and more and the nurses were just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're up walking. Well, because I wanted to get myself used to you know, the pain that I was going to experience, but I needed to get up and walk. You have to walk. It's very important to, to exercise and, and to, to walk, to get used to walking. You know, they said I wasn't going to drive for two weeks. And I thought, uh-uh, I'm an independent <laughs> woman. I'm not going to go two weeks right. and not drive. And I'm not having people haul me all over the place. So I actually ended up, was able to drive a week after my surgery because I was so like determined to get up and walk and exercise. So that's, that's what I did. So yeah. It's important it, to do those things. Yeah. Uh, and you touched on something there, independence. I guess at least for the short short term, there is a certain degree of a loss of independence. And that's that's stressful. And uh, I hadn't thought yes. about that. Yeah, you have to depend on others, I guess, for a lot of things maybe that you nor normally yeah. wouldn't. Um, so I can see why you really wanted to get back in the game. And I like yeah. that tip about getting up and walking and exercising. I mean, in, I, I mean, that's just a good thing to do in general for our well-being and right. health and I can see why it's especially uh, important to get your strength back and well yeah yeah and you have to think about that my age I was 34 at the time so I was used to be bopping around and you know I wasn't married didn't have any children so I was just a very active person I was did things with my friends um you know 
was just active and helping other family members or friends with whatever they needed. So I didn't, I did not want this. That's another thing. I just wasn't, I was not going to let cancer disrupt my life because I had things to do. Right. <laughs> so I just, that's kind of why I, I was that way. Um, but now when you're talking about somebody, if they, if, if I was like even a decade older or even five years older than I was, it, you know, it still would, it was important for me to stay active and not do not isolate yourself. It's very important not to do that. But like, if you have somebody, you know, that might be forties or mid forties, um, you know, it's kind of at a different point in life, I think, in, in the, in that respect where I think that, um, maybe, I mean, hopefully you're active and, and do things, but um, if you're not, then in this particular case, when you're dealing with the after effects of the surgery and then going through the radiation, it, it is important to, to, if you're not active, to try to get active. It's just going to help you feel better, not only physically, but mentally, um, spiritually, it just makes you feel better. So that's what I, I was really proud of myself that I kept, I just kept going because I wasn't going to, wasn't going to let it get me down. And is that part of the motivation for why you became a chapter leader within CCC? Well, that's an interesting story that, well, when I experienced like all of my treatment and the medical staff was so good and so wonderful to me. And I thought I've got to, what can I do to help others? Well, I, if I can give back, let's do that. So I did some volunteer work with the American Cancer Society. I know when we had the um, Relay for Life, I was asked to give the fight back speech. So I did two fight back speeches. Um, and then I was even asked by the NCC to do um, a talk about my experiences in front of the Illinois State Health Commission. And that was in 2007. So like it wasn't even a year, maybe six months or so afterwards. And that was an experience because I was able to get in front of the, all of the, you know, some of this, not all of them, but some of the senators and representatives for the state of Illinois and talk about my experience because that's when they were thinking about passing the bill. I can't remember the name of the bill now, but it was, they were wanting to make um, Gardasil be one of the inoculation that kids get first part of school. Right. And so that's what I went and did to talk about what I went through. Um, because had I had, had I had that, um, you know, those Gardasil uh, vaccinations, I might not have had cervical cancer. I mean, you just never know. So if, I mean, if I knew if I had a daughter and I knew, I mean, whether you know if they're sexually active, you know, probably figure in the same age they are, I would want to make sure that my daughter had, had what she needed to have to be safe out there. And so that's why I did that speech. So it's kind of different things happened at different points in my life that kept me, that kept me um, in a, in a position to be able to be an advocate for cervical cancer awareness. And that was important to me. Yeah. I, and I've heard other people say that too. They, they really feel like part of their healing almost is just getting involved to see if they can help others. Exactly. Like you just, like, like you described there. And that makes perfect sense. And I like the fact you mentioned the vaccine. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, because mm -hmm. of that, I mean, we have incredible prevention tools. We've just got to make sure that we use them, you know, that the people who yeah. need them the most have access to them. And even if a, if a young person is not sexually active, it's still a great time for them to get the vaccine so that protection is mm -hmm. in place when they do become sexually active. And, and you know, we know too, that yeah. when the vaccine is given at a younger age, even as young as nine, 
the immune response is more robust even compared to giving it at 16 or 17. So getting those vaccines early, that sets them up for, with the protection they need down down the road. So thank you for bringing that up. And then also we have screening tests. You know, back back when you were diagnosed, oh, yeah. it was pretty much a PAP, but now we have HPV DNA tests that actually detect oh, yeah. genetic material, you know, the virus that can be used alone yeah. or in combination with, with, with a PAP test. And uh, it's just a matter of getting the words out, getting the word out, and make sure everybody knows about these tools and that that they have access to them. So um, exactly, there you go. Yeah, with getting involved with NCCC in terms of being a chapter leader, just this is just a recent thing. It just happened within the last, I'd say, six months. Well, yeah, something like that. Six months. Well, a year. No, six months. A year ago, I started a new job where I was a community health worker and a certified applications counselor. So I was able to go out into the community and and work with folks in community and help plan events. And we had, with my position, we had different, um, different, um, I guess you could say goals that we wanted to focus on. And I noticed one of them was cervical cancer. And it's really weird because I just, I was asked to go to this meeting one day, um, to introduce me as being new with with the company that I was with and and I did and then I said well you know I'm a cervical cancer survivor and there's a bunch of nurses in this group it was for the Illinois breast and cervical cancer program mm-hmm. which they have it's it's um you know if you have if you if you can't afford to get a to get pap smear screenings you can go to your local health department right. fill out some paperwork and then they'll give you like a voucher and then if you were found to have cancer after you've, you've had your test, then you do are able to get a medical card to help you with your surgeries and things like that. So I thought it was a great program. Um, so I partnered up with my, with the um, health department, Tazewell County, Illinois, where I live. And um, I said, well, let's do an event, you know, January Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. So I came up with some ideas and they loved it. So let's see, it's shortly after Christmas. Let's see if we can light up the the four counties that, that that particular program served, see if we can light up. And, and you know, if anything, the kids are gonna say, what's all this light about? And then they'll be able to associate the color of teal with cervical cancer. I mean, just like breast cancer, everybody knows breast cancer is pink and kids learn that they get in school, right. but you know, what about cervical cancer? They don't get that same, I don't think they get that same attention. Um, so I wanted to be able to see if we could do something similar to that. Um, we have a bridge here in Peoria, Illinois, it's called the Murray Baker Bridge. And they redid the bridge. And when they did, they put the capability lights on there. So I said, hey, let's light this bridge up. So my company actually had a grant that they hadn't used used it entirely. So they were able to pay for that bridge to be lit up for five days. Mm. And then we were going to do like a health fair on a certain day. But then with the, with the COVID uptick last January in this area, there was a big uptick in January. So we kind of had to cancel the event, but we were there to light the bridge up. And I called, you know, the news and said, Hey, this is what we're doing. We're going to light the bridge up. Here's why. Can you get me on one of the morning shows just to say, this is what we're going to do. If you have any teal lights or ribbons or whatever, just put it out, let people see the color teal. So then the night that we lit the bridge up was like two weeks later then they were there when we saw them flip the switch on the bridge and it light up teal. It was absolutely beautiful. So um, then I, I had, because of this event and planning all that, I was able to get in touch with the National Cervical Cancer Coalition after so many years of really not talking, had been in contact with them. 
And they said, well, we'd like to, we'd like to help you if you need any resources, marketing material, we'll help you with that. But they put the picture of that bridge up on, up on their website. And that was pretty cool, pretty cool. So that's how I got back in touch with them. And, and um, Rena, one of the gals that works there asked me if I would be a chapter leader in this area. And I said, well, sure. So that's we've already fun. been able to raise, raise some money for the chapter and, and planning on doing the same thing again in January is lighting it up. Reveal the Teal is the event. Reveal the Teal, yeah, January. Central Yeah, January is a big month, bro. That's Cervical Health Awareness Month. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that bridge. I, uh, I I actually put some of those images on our Facebook page and through Twitter. Uh, I'll uh, put oh. that. But yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's a small world. Yeah, yeah. So I will, uh, I'll put those, in, I'll see if I can get one of those images and maybe put on the episode page for the, for this podcast. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a big impact. I mean, that literally talking about getting, yeah, you can't help but notice that you get to talking about it because you, you literally had that bridge bathed in teal. I mean, it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was really cool. And what was interesting is I had through my, my Facebook, I had um, a nurse reach out to me and say, do you know, are you the one that was responsible for, are you the Jolene that I saw on the news? And I'm like, I wrote like, yeah, why? And she's like, the doctors are ecstatic. So over at OSF, they is, you know, we have, so we have OSF and Unity Point um, in the area and of course, Illinois Cancer Care. Um, but they were, the doctors, I guess, were elated. And that was really helpful tool for them to use in terms of helping their current patients understand that, look, there's, yeah. there's, there's some attention that it's being you know, that we're able to get. So, you know, there's resources out there for you. So they were able to kind of utilize that, that event and that experience to help their patients. And then also what really, really tugged at my heartstrings was there was, I know at least two women that lived over in Bloomington Normal. That's an hour away. They drove an hour over here just to have their picture taken by the bridge. Mm. And they had recently had been diagnosed with cervical cancer. So for them, that was a very meaningful experience. Sure. Yeah. And that gets back to what we talked about just a few minutes ago. A lot of times people feel isolated, like I'm the only one I know who's gone through this. And that really yeah. is a strong message. You are absolutely not alone. Um, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I can't wait until January to see what, uh, see what you're doing again uh, for 2023. Uh, Joe, yeah, hopefully we'll get things lit up some more yes. and then hopefully we'll actually be able to have that health fair event that we were going to have that sure. we got canceled. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I, there is, there is some other things I have up my sleeve, but I won't give that away just yet, but there are a few, right. a few things that we'll be doing in addition to the bridge this year. So. All right. Well, we will leave it with that tease. That's great. So everybody keep checking back. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep rolling out more resources and uh, you'll, you'll get to see what Jolene is going to be up to for January. So Stay tuned. Billy <laughs> Westler, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us this evening. We, re we really appreciate this. Thank you. I'm a chatty Kathy, so I hope I answered all of your questions. You did. You did. Thank you. And and, and you, and as I learned so much from the guests, who of course brought up several things that I should have mentioned, but I didn't. So thank you for covering for me. I appreciate that. Oh, no, that's okay. And I just, I hope that anybody out there who is going through cervical cancer, ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions stay in close contact with your physicians and let them know anytime you experience anything that's not what you normally would experience. And for those who are survivors, sometimes it's hard to get 
to get involved in advocacy because it, it does bring back your experience and it mm-hmm. might it might not be as pleasant, it can be painful, but being an advocate can help so many other people and it can help just let people know and a reminder of how important it is to get your cancer screenings, to get your get your pap tests and and get you get get tested. Um, it's so important to do that because it can save a life. If I wouldn't have went, I was literally six months away from being inoperable when I went to get my DNC done when I went to the doctor. So had I not gotten that done, I wouldn't be here today. So time is of the essence. There you go. Jolene, thank you again. I really appreciate this. I know the listeners will as well. And thank you, intrepid listeners, for tuning into this conversation. We will include all the resources for coping in the show notes, just all the things we talked about there, including a picture of that gorgeous bridge that Jolene illuminated so wonderfully for January. So uh, check back. Keep checking back with us. We'll roll out new resources frequently. Also, send us feedback, including any ideas you might have for future podcast episodes, it is info at ashasexualhealth.org. And that email will be in the show notes too. Until next time, take care, everybody.